2: That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local
3: agent today. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway is doing customer research at a Chipotle on Knightsbridge. So today I'm joined by author, journalist, and dear friend of Pivot, Bill Cohen. How are you doing, Bill?
0: I'm great, Karen. I'm so glad to be here with you today.
3: Thank you. Actually, Scott is probably on a plane reading your book right now. Actually, I know where he is. He's going to the World Cup, I think. And we're going to talk about a lot of things today. Your book, by the way, is Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon. It's about GE, which is probably, um, I don't know how to characterize it compared to today's companies, but give us a quick idea of what it meant to people, GE.
0: I mean, it, 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 Cara, it was so iconic, a company. I mean, if you can imagine Apple, Google, Microsoft, uh, you know, Facebook in the day, you know, rolled up into one company, mm-hmm. Netflix in the day rolled up into one company, that was GE. And not only was it a technological leader, I mean, really, a serious leader in technology, right. yeah. uh, had products that we all sort of took for granted like you know electricity generation and light bulbs mm-hmm. and aircraft engines and things like that, x-ray machines, uh, first electric cars. Uh, and it, we became the most uh, under Jack Welch became the most valuable company in the world. Mm-hmm. the most respected company in the world. Can and you...
3: spawned so many executives and 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 ways of thinking, management exactly
0: style. management, expertise, management, factory. and then you know, what the hell happened? Uh, you know, there's a dead body on the ground. How did it get there? So this became a, an, a forensic assignment for me. There, like, in a uh, corporate autopsy. I felt uh, compelled, compelled uh, Cara, compelled, compelled to figure out what happened. Why
3: compelled? Because Why not it was go like you know, if, if Apple
0: disappeared, wouldn't you right. feel compelled to? Yes,
3: actually, you're right. That's a really happened? good comparison. Yeah. I think it's a. It, it had it really did lead everybody. And Jack Welch, for better or worse, was the iconic CEO for everybody around. And his his theories. What was the theory? It was the Sigma? Six,
0: six Sigma, which he, of course, copied from uh, Motorola and mm-hmm. his friend Larry Bossetti, who was then the CEO of Allied Signal, who had been his right hand guy at GE. And he mm-hmm. decided to bring it into GE to try to, you know, you might uh, accept some flaws in like your baggage uh, handling mm-hmm. when you go to travel and like the bag doesn't mm-hmm. show up once in a while. You might be okay with that. But with like an aircraft engine, you may not want a whole lot of flaws. Yeah. And so uh, that is something that he really drove home and rewarded people at GE for becoming experts in that. But And it was also a vicious
3: culture, correct? I mean, one that was quite, well, you, know, you know.
0: I worked there for two years out of business school, financing mm-hmm. leverage buyouts of all things mm-hmm. at GE Capital, which of course I was not uh, competent to do, but again, that mm-hmm. I learned, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd been a journalist, so then I learned, but um, you know, actually I kind of liked it. It was, it was not, um, you know it was not coddling uh, by any means it was it was darwinian to some extent but it, you know it was much more uh, much more pleasant than say wall street culture where that's mm-hmm. another 15 years right, uh, right. so you know you got rewarded with perks uh, you know i got a car to go back and forth to the office i got trips around the world and and i wasn't hardly a top performer so um uh, and jack just made it uh an incredibly valuable important company you know respected mm-hmm. had to be in everybody's investment fund and that's what mm-hmm. made its downfall so disappointing and tragic for so many people and that's why i wanted to figure out what had happened and that's what this book is about with all the great characters you can right. possibly imagine
3: right uh, who's your boot. favorite character in the whole thing
0: well, I mean, Jack is such a great and compelling character. And obviously, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time with him at, towards the end of his life. He died mm-hmm. in March of 2020, right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I'd had, you know, six or seven long interviews with him by then. But also people like, you know, Dave Cody, mm-hmm. who, had you know, a kid from New Hampshire who went on to become the CEO of Honeywell, who Jack had fired and then later mm-hmm. regretted, wished he'd actually maybe selected him instead of Jeff Immelt. But it was nice to meet. Jeff Immolt, it was nice to meet uh Dave Calhoun, who's the new mm-hmm. who's the CEO of Boeing. I mean, uh David Zaslov, who's the uh, CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, has got his own uh problems to handle now. So yeah, the we'll cast of characters is just Fabulous. It really was.
3: It was the crucible. And a lot of companies, there's little crucible companies also in tech and stuff like that. But it certainly is important. Today, we'll talk about Twitter's plan or lack thereof to bring back banned accounts. And also, we'll look at the latest hurdle in the News Corp Fox reunion. And we'll speak with the author, Anand Girgardas, about the latest threats to democracy and how they can be overcome. All right, I guess we have to mention before we move it to Twitter, Elon had a picture of his gun on his de- on his bedside table, he was making a joke you know as one does with guns on bedside tables. but just so people are aware people are very upset about it and as you know, it's just another, it's, it's another stunt he's playing. But there are two non-firing guns. One is a, a replica of um, George Washington's flintlock pistol. The other is a replica of a video game revolver from a game he likes to play. And so just, it's another stunt. Everybody calm down. I mean, unfortunately, it's its distasteful to people like Fred Gutenberg whose child died in gunfire. And it's just tasteless. <laughs> and
0: again, you know, he's become the expert in stunts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And Meaningless stunts. Stunts, throwaway stunts. Uh, I don't know whether it's masking what is obviously going to be bigger problems uh, that are at that company, both financial and operational. But I mean, what about the four caffeine free diet coke cans yeah. that yeah. also buys bedside? Yeah. Hello. I know. Why Bob?
3: Why bother? Well, is that a gun on your bedside table, or are you just overcompensating? Anyway, that's as much as I can say about that. But let's talk about a couple of things. Um, Amazon believes in movie theaters. The company reportedly plans to spend $1 billion a year on theatrical movie releases. Bloomberg reported that Amazon plans to build up, to pr- up production in 2023 with a planned 12 to 15 releases per year after that. Cinemark, IMAX, and AMC stocks jumped after the news what do you think this is about? I mean, the spending in streaming, which you've talked about, a lot of people at Puck have talked about, is really off the charts, and some people are suffering for it. This is a this is a real doubling down in, in the movie theater area.
0: Well, it, it, it makes sense, uh, Karen. I mean, they, they spent close to $9 billion buying MGM that closed mm-hmm. earlier this year. You know, yep. they have a lot of content that uh, on prime video that they're trying to apply and uh to their prime video uh, prime customers and it's a way to sort of keep them sticky and keep them mm-hmm. on board um you know there's problems elsewhere in amazon land so right. this might be uh a nice uh growth area for them uh and you know alexa billion- unit
3: had largest layoffs the company history for example e- and-
0: exactly uh mm-hmm. you know obviously aws is off the charts great but maybe they mm-hmm. have to spin that off uh, mm-hmm. the road to hollywood is paved with people who uh hope yes. to do well mm-hmm. uh there and have gotten their head handed to them uh and you know i don't know whether that's going to happen to amazon at all but um you know, to to spend a billion dollars uh, to put uh, movies through another distribution channel sort of is the revert. It's coming out of the back yeah. way, you know, mm-hmm. obviously they started with streaming and now they're going with it. And people are going to go back to movie theaters. I can see it mm-hmm. already happening uh, mm-hmm. slowly, but surely. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, once we sort of think that this pandemic is over hopefully we're not fooling ourselves but i think people like and people have been yeah you know, I did it'll be lesser deals. than
3: though lesser than though it's not going to come
0: back of in course the, same way. the
3: numbers are pretty no, clear. because
0: streaming doing this from your home is so mm-hmm. convenient and with tvs being you know like mini movie screens these days mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. you know why not but there are some movies you do want to just see in the theater or are only available in the theater so i just
3: saw wakanda forever uh, and it yeah, was one I, I had to the, see it
0: the menu Mm-hmm. you know, which was only available in a, uh, 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 the theater and a sort of a rollicking good time, if you'd mm-hmm. like people, you know, ending up all dead. Kind
3: mm, of yes, yes, I always do like that. Mm. Um, but it's interesting that they're spending here when other companies are thinking about cutting back, like, you know, the issues around Bob Chapek at Disney, for example, had to do with that and others. So, you know, and also you mentioned David Sasloff. You know, it's a really interesting problem they have because of that because the spending is way too high
0: well look it depends if you're a content provider as we Mm -hmm. both are we kind Mm -hmm. of like uh, a lot of spending uh, so and i think people like the content and appreciate the content now do the economics work Well, I mean, uh, they were working. And then, of course, Netflix lost customers earlier in the year. And so there was a revaluation of whether the economics make sense and how to value that. But I Mm -hmm. think streaming is not going away. You you need to have uh, spend on the content. Uh, You know, Hollywood is always basically spent on the content. Do do you need to spend $200 million on a Wakanda forever or, or something like that? Or... You know, I mean, Netflix is spending, what, $17, $18 billion Mm -hmm. or more a year on content. And Amazon is trying to keep pace with that. Disney is keeping pace. David Zaslav has to try to keep pace. I mean, it's a a very expensive game. Uh, Obviously, they're trying to get the economics in line. Uh, Mm -hmm. Netflix, you know, I think investors completely overreacted to losing customers. Uh, The stock is done a lot better lately. It's been running the best performing stock of the year, in fact, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. one of them in the last six months. And so, you know, having 220 million people paying you money every right. month is not something to sneeze at. And so th- they'll, they'll make it work. And I have confidence in that management team. And so you this... Know,
3: this move into movie theaters is a good thing. That why not? Right? It's well, better well, than. What has
0: got movies coming out of movie theaters. Uh, you have you to. Know, this is just another, uh, you know, venue, another avenue, another you know distribution network that they weren't in. So right. sure. They, and and now MGM's they movies have always been in movie right. theaters. So this is just
3: the Bond movies, etc. And they don't have full rights over those, which is interesting. So another topic, you, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Apple as big as GE and if something happened to it. But right now, workers have, are revolting over COVID policies of the world's largest iPhone factory in China, actually all over China, um, over these very stringent COVID policies the government has. China's zero COVID policy requires extreme lockdowns, but factories are allowed to stay open if employees are living on the site. Uh, employees at Foxconn in central China, which makes a lot of the iPhones complain about sharing rooms with COVID-positive workers, about being misled about compensation. Disruptions are are significant. Protests, again, has broken out throughout China over these policies, including some that call for the removal of uh, Xi Jinping, which is unusual. Talk a, bit, a little bit about this, because Apple's trying to build capacity outside of China uh, and Taiwan with facilities in India and even the U.S. Um, how do you look at this from a global perspective, from a business perspective? It's really dragging down the stock market and other things.
0: You know, not to, I'm no expert on, on, on Chinese politics, but obviously the, the COVID lockdowns, people are reaching their breaking point on that. People are human everywhere, right? I mean, if that mm-hmm. were the case here,
1: right. uh,
0: we'd be freaking out. I mean, unfortunately, mm-hmm. we've tolerated a, a much higher death toll and infection mm-hmm. toll than China did. And, and maybe now with things easing on those fronts, still though, 250 mm-hmm. people dying a day maybe maybe well they are, they aren't
3: as infected they're not as infected right they didn't have as much covid there
0: cuz they well, or so they, we're or so told. we're told, we're told Carol, right, we, yeah, you know yeah. and maybe they have and we don't know and maybe you know these lockdowns are trying to keep it contained and people have fed been fed fed up with that i mean you know we have vaccines here and many people have used them uh you know i've had five vaccines mm-hmm. uh and you know, and happy to have them, I might add. And so uh, this is an increasing political problem in China, and it's going to probably increasingly affect uh, what Apple can get out of China in terms of its mm-hmm. products. But uh, I suspect Tim Cook and the they smart have people to, out they out. have to
3: diversify their Absolutely. supply chain. Yeah, I mean, I think right. this is their most, uh, from a human rights perspective, from a supplies perspective, this has been, uh, except for the app store stuff here in this country. I think it's its biggest um, vulnerability, presumably. Uh,
0: I, I I agree with that, but I I, I mean, we haven't really heard necessarily about shortages of product right i mm-hmm. mean uh, mm-hmm. they probably have too many uh, apple uh, iphone 14s right now. at the yep. moment uh, right. I, I see them being black friday cyber monday discounted so mm-hmm. um, you know uh it, it it is a potential problem i think there are solutions that are they are working on it takes time though to build a new factory yep. so
3: yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's their it's their biggest challenge, and it was just, I suspect Tim Cook is certainly up to that challenge. And it's not a good look to have this go on and people getting beaten, and Apple gets dragged be- right back into those stories from before, which is the treatment of workers at those factories. Um, so, but interesting, anyone looking for news of protests on Twitter will have a hard time. On Sunday, numerous Chinese language accounts flooded Twitter with links to escort services and other spam alongside names of Chinese cities. Uh, the Twitter team that have been fighting that has been radically downsized. And that gets us to our first big story. The band shall tweet again. Elon Musk announced that nearly all previously suspended accounts will be welcome back on Twitter, perhaps as early as this week. Musk says the accounts that broke the law or posted spam would remain banned, and I guess they're sorting those out, but Twitter hasn't announced a plan for how they'll make that distinction. One Harvard instructor called the move, quote, existentially dangerous for various marginalized communities and said that Apple and Google should consider removing Twitter from the Apple store. They have not said anything. I certainly know they're looking at it from people I know inside the companies. They're watching it carefully. It would be a big move on their part to do something like that, but they've done it before uh, with Parler and uh, and that was an unusual situation. What do you think about these returning accounts and what's happening there?
0: Well, I mean, for for any other uh, person, uh, any other company, this would be both a a financial and operational existential crisis. I mean, the company Mm -hmm. would be you know, teetering, uh, you know, on the edge of bankruptcy mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and might yet, uh, honestly. Uh, but since it's, uh, owned privately, you know, by mm-hmm. the richest man in the world who is still pretty rich, even though Tesla stock is down and, uh, you know, Twitter is looking like a financial wipeout, uh, mm-hmm. at the moment, uh, he can probably weather a lot of this and is probably willing to weather it for reasons I do not for the life of me understand. But, you know, to bring back banned accounts is, uh, you know, a high beta move. Uh, You know, he, you know, how long has it been since Trump has been allowed back, you know, a week or two? And Mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen any Trump tweets uh, yet. That's sort of Mm -hmm. an interesting dynamic. Obviously, Trump has a uh, contractual obligation with Truth Social or or whatever his media company is, uh, you know, that he seems to be observing, which is, Quite out of character for him, so I'm I'm wondering, you know, when the dam is going to break on that front. Um, mm-hmm. uh, other band accounts coming back. I, you know, just you know, after he said he was going to set up a committee and let let yeah. there be a vetting process, Not he true. seems to have, yeah, exactly, blown through all blown through all of that, yeah,
3: what does this do to the advertising business? So this was I had heard that they have gone down to four hundred million from one point five or something like that from different people internally. It's a significant decline in advertising, and that's a, the significant amount of their revenue. Explain to people what's what will happen if when that happens.
0: Twitter is not much of a business, like from a profitability point of view. The EBITDA has been. Roughly a billion dollars on a good year, you know. That's when, you know, advertising has been quote robust at five billion dollars a, a mm-hmm. year. You know, obviously, if that's coming down substantially, then, you know, he's got uh, thirteen billion dollars of debt uh, that is owned by his banks who did not sell that mm-hmm. off, so they still own it, and they didn't sell it off because they knew if they did sell it off, they were going to have to perfect you know, a 50% loss, uh, you know, $6.5 billion loss. So they Mm -hmm. are pretending that that loss is not really there. They're going to hold on to the debt for, you know, at least into 2023. Explain
3: why they're holding on to the debt for people. This is this $13 billion in debt that they have lent him against some of his shares in a declining asset, correct?
0: The debt is secured by the assets of Twitter, as opposed to maybe maybe his stock is part of that uh, asset base too, but basically the assets of twitter whatever those happen to be i mean buildings and intellectual capital right. you know code whatever it is cash flow mm-hmm. uh and so uh 13 billion dollars on it's a, it's ironic because there's never been a lbo with more equity mm-hmm. in it i mean so right. there's there's 31 billion dollars of equity 24 billion of which came from elon 7 billion mm-hmm. came from friends of elon so there's a lot of equity here, but there's also 13 billion of debt on a billion or what was a billion dollars of EBITDA. That's 13 times EBITDA. And now that's going to be less than a billion. So it's mm-hmm. now we're talking, you know, serious junk territory on this debt, right. even though it's senior secure debt. And so, uh, given the co- that and the com and the fact that interest rates have increased dramatically since this deal was first cut back in April, that that banks, uh, in order to sell this debt do have others, to another.
3: Take a shower. Have or take to a
0: bath, price bath. it to yield at a much higher level than it would be uh, given the current interest rate that they can they're getting out of Elon and Twitter. Mm-hmm. So to do that, they have to discount the debt to sell it, and to dis and they discount the debts. People have told me something like fifty percent would be where it would clear the market. That's mm-hmm. a six and a half billion dollar wipeout on their thirteen billion dollars of which debt, which they have
3: to put on their books. Correct, Absolutely. Right. And, and so, and then who, right who the buys that? You've talked about this. Musk would have to buy this debt. Could, could he buy it and then make money on it?
0: Well, uh, normally, who would buy it would be, you know, investors all around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Japanese banks or investment funds, Apollo, mm-hmm. whoever it is. Okay. Now, if Elon were really smart, now he doesn't listen to me, mm-hmm. but if he were really smart, uh, that this is my theory of the case at the moment, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think he's okay. shit-coining or shit-talking uh, uh, Twitter continuously and doing all mm-hmm. these ridiculously stupid things. Erratic things, uh, Erratic, yeah. operationally questionable things to bring, to, to spook the banks mm-hmm. so that the value of their debt decreases even further So Mm -hmm. that they'll take anything that Elon offers them. If like, if Elon came along and said, I'll give you 50 cents on the dollar, they'll like leap at it because the chances of it going to zero because of this bankruptcy, looming mm -hmm. bankruptcy, if he doesn't make interest payments, which the first one is coming in April, then they can file an involuntary bankruptcy on him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why not try to shit talk this thing down so that he can buy the bank debt from them at a severe discount and retire it and make it go away? And so why
3: why would they give it to him versus an Apollo or someone else? Why would they sell he, it to
0: him? he would be agree to pay more for it.
3: I see. Okay, so he would pay more for it, but he's trying to bring it down to a price that's affordable for him.
0: Yeah, it's sort of a balancing act he's doing here. Talk it down so that when he offers them 45 cents on the dollar, they think to themselves, oh, my God. And then they'll go out and try to sell it to Apollo, and Apollo will say 35 cents. So suddenly Elon's 45 cents looks pretty great, even though... You know, in a normal situation, you know it should be trading and worth much higher. But so then, then know, he
3: owns the whole thing, right? Then he then owns he owns the...
0: both the debt and the equity, and then, mm-hmm. then 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 at least nobody can file an involuntary bankruptcy on him,
3: right? And and it's, he does it's, that it's because good he... money
0: after bad potentially, right? But but you know it's that not way, that much he's money got control.
3: That's right. Then he doesn't have that much money. It's not that. I mean, it's billions, but it's not. <laughs>
0: Unaffordable Again, for anybody else, this would be a non starter type of mm-hmm. behavior, uh, and then but, he could
3: fix it up and sell it off or uh, like or well, something well, like
0: that. F- fix it up, work his miracle, whatever it is that he does that turns out to be a miracle. And of course, he's so much smarter than everybody else that we never anticipated that anybody could possibly do this. But because he's the brilliant Elon Musk, he then mm-hmm. turns it around. Uh, next thing you know, as, as I was talking to Martin Sorrell, you know, who mm-hmm. said that they've only got you know, a tiny fraction of the digital advertising market. If somehow he turns this around and advertisers flock back to it, which I don't really see how that's going to happen. But if it does, because he's much smarter than we are, then, <laughs> uh, you know, he'll turn around and next thing you know, he'll sell it or take it public again, because I don't really know who really wants this. I mean, if, right. who's going to pay more than $44 billion for this thing? Right, I, I right. But Except investors that and, like him. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. And then it that's goes, the goes for a hundred. That's the only thing I can see him doing. Otherwise, it's a Total wipeout, and you know it's fine for him because he's worth mm-hmm. whatever two hundred billion dollars. But you know the people who ponied up the seven billion. I mean, my my favorite story is is you know Prince Al Walid mm-hmm. who you know invested three hundred million or so early on in Twitter, and mm-hmm. now his Twitter stock at fifty four dollars and twenty cents was worth one point nine billion. He could have taken that in cash mm-hmm. a month ago, and right. instead he rolled it over, and mm-hmm. that equity may be worth zero now.
3: Yeah. Yeah, because they'll all eat it, and he won't, and Elon will own the thing. And they'll have no power. They still have no power, correct?
0: Well, they still have no power. You know, he controls it all, and there's no board of directors. So
3: some of this stuff, these this like for example, he's he's going he's sort of lurching far right in an interesting way. Uh, researcher and self-described Antifa member Chad Loader was banned after he tweeted about an alleged hack of Twitter user data. An anarchist publication, Crime Think, was banned after far-right troll Andy uh, Nago brought it to. Elon Musk's attention obviously brought back Babylon B. He tweeted the and deleted the defense of a police officer who killed Mike Brown in Ferguson in 2014. In the early hours of Monday morning, he tweeted this photo of the gun. So you think I think these are all stunts? It's a stunt after a stunt after a stunt. Correct? That's my impression.
0: Well, again, it's it's you know if there's any internal logic to Elon Musk at all, is that he's doing these things to break out the down. banks even further so they'll sell him the debt at a lower price.
3: What is the word on Wall Street? What when when you talk to them, what do they say? I mean, they'll have they'll have lunch with anybody, like, presumably. They'll do a deal with anybody, but what do they say? They,
0: they they say, "My god, how did we get in bed with this madman and why did we agree to finance this deal?" And and you know, I'm sure Morgan Stanley is like scratching their heads saying, "Well, you know, why did we agree to Get involved in this, and, and but then you know that's on the one side. On the other mm-hmm. side, on the Twitter side, they're just laughing all the way to the bank. I mean, Goldman right. Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase, who did minimal mm-hmm. work because deciding mm-hmm. this thing was fair was like the easiest thing that ever happened mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the history of Wall Street, and they got paid you know fifty million dollars or whatever.
3: Yeah, for, yeah.
0: So, yeah. and and they avoided the thirteen billion dollar debt deal. I mean, it's just.
3: And and they would suck right back up to them if you went public. All
0: of them would. Oh, I'm sure they would be more than happy to underwrite (laughs) an IPO of this thing if it actually became something that was IPOable. Right. Absolutely.
3: Is there any world where Google and Apple remove the Twitter app? I know they're looking at it. They're watching it. I, you know, they did this with Parler um, and Musk is saying if Google and Apple ban him, he'll make his own phone, which is delusional as far as I can tell. Th- this would be a big decision on their part. It would have to get very dangerous in that place, I think.
0: Personally, I would like them to do that because then then I then that would be it. I wouldn't have Twitter on my phone anymore. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is the excuse I'm looking for. You know, it's like, I really know I don't want Twitter on here anymore, but mm-hmm. I just can't you know, mm-hmm. push that delete button on it. But mm-hmm. if, you know, it's banned, um, uh, you know, on the app store, then it's gone and I can't get mm-hmm. it. So All right, it's just for you,
3: left. Bill. But what yeah. do you imagine them doing this? It's way too big. It's a big call. This is what he's hoping for. The same thing with the banks. He's hoping for that they won't push a button that he will.
0: Well, would, the banks, you know, he'll get a benefit from because he'll mm-hmm. be able to buy the data at sure. a discount. If, if Apple and Google take it off their app store, I don't see how that benefits Elon Musk in any way.
3: It's not good for them, though. He can... Throw a tizzy, presumably. Yeah, He's a good throw tizzy, tizzy. throw.
0: I mean, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, doesn't make a sound. I mean, That's true. If you can't get it on your iPhone, or you can't get it on your Google phone. Where are you yeah. getting it?
3: Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to do. It. I don't. I think they're watching it, but and they'll yeah. do it I if mean, they have to. It's the last thing they want to do, from my perspective.
0: Sure. No. I. No. And I, and I agree with that because their customers like mm-hmm. the pro the product. But I mean, if another you know, and people have started talking about other alternatives to Twitter. If mm-hmm. they get critical mass, then I think that probably that'll be— Makes
3: it a know, little easier. Twitter easy.
0: will, you know, go the way of MySpace, but it's yeah. going to take a while.
3: Yeah. So um, speaking about, Musk was attacking Sam Bankman-Fried and the fallout. Talk a little bit about your writing about this and, and the guy who's taking— taking over for what's happened here. Give me a read on where this goes. And, you know, there are people who are still bullish on crypto. ARK Investments, Kathy Wood, she kind of have to, has to be. She bought over a million dollars of Grayscale's Bitcoin trust shares. Um, she she thinks
0: Bitcoin's going to a million dollars. Yes, coin, she does. She called her she's, what?
3: A nincompoop? Uh, <laughs> she's
0: a nincompoop slash delusional, yes, and has been for a while.
3: Yes, okay. So explain where this
0: goes. You know, part of me thinks... Um, This is kind of a repeat of the Internet bubble in 1999, March 2000, Mm -hmm. when everything melted down. Yeah, Uh, I was there. We thought that was the end of the Internet. Oh, my God. But guess what? It was actually the beginning of the Internet. It was the Mm -hmm. end of the beginning and the beginning of the next viable phase and Mm -hmm. useful phase of the Internet when real companies sprung up uh, providing real services, making real products that uh, they could make money and from. And real
3: profits, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And massively real profits, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this sort of is a, a a a fire that burns out, you know, the underbrush from the forest floor. And then out of that, I think some green shoots are going to crop up. Uh, and you're going to see, you know, look, if there's any hope for, let, let's be clear, I mean, it, if, if there's any hope for cryptocurrency and th- and the technology behind it, the blockchain and the rails that you know, Sam Bankman Fried liked to talk about, and he talked mm-hmm. about that when I interviewed him. Uh, you know, then then you know we need to get all of this gone. You know, the right. the, the FTX is gone, the Tethers, mm-hmm. the Bonances, everything that's been basically, you know, uh, no offense to anybody, a, a massive Ponzi scheme uh, mm-hmm. or certainly seems that way uh then we have to clear all of this garbage out okay all of it all of mm-hmm. it has to go so you're left with this pure technology that may be may, may be useful maybe right. i don't right. know if it will be or not but there's right. there's going to be any hope for this technology that the maximalists believe in and talk about all the time till till you're blue in the face then then this has to happen and is happening and then we'll see where we go from and,
3: there. And tell me why people didn't catch him. You interviewed him. I never did a, a long interview with him. Why wasn't it picked up from your perspective on him? He he sort of was the the adult in the room, even though he looked like a 12-year-old boy. <laughs> and, and,
0: and sounded like a 12-year-old pre-adolescent mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. child. Uh, look, Kara, I, I interviewed him, you know, last December uh, mm-hmm. for 90 Minutes for this crypto movie I've been working mm-hmm. on that I, you know, had the honor of inter- also interviewing you for. Mm-hmm. Uh and at that, think about it. Last December, I mean, crypto was, you know, Bitcoin was at like 69,000, yeah. you know, and it's all time high. He was mm-hmm. still 29. So he's the youngest, uh, you know, the, the wealthiest person in the world under 30, you know, worth 25 billion. His company mm-hmm. was about to be valued at 32 billion a, a month later by quote unquote smart investors, uh, you know, MIT physics grad, uh, you know carefully selected to go work at Jane Capital his both of his parents you know were professors at Stanford Law School I mean hello I'm just mm-hmm. a human a regular human being right, right I'm not right, I'm right. not uh, an ubermensch I'm there's mm-hmm. no way I you know would think to criticize him uh, or, or question him so mm-hmm. I have a lot of Uh, Admiration for people who did uh, Mm -hmm. see this coming and questioned all of this, and Mm -hmm. and and they're kind of far and few between because most everybody was on board. The mainstream media was on board. You know, cover of Forbes, cover of Fortune. I mean, obviously, you know, he shows up on a cold December night, disheveled. Mm -hmm. You know, wearing his uniform of a of Mm -hmm. short sleeve shirt and and cargo pants, and his hair Mm -hmm. every which way. I mean, who am I to question? You know, any of that? And Mm -hmm. so, of course. I didn't. I just asked him, you know, what it was all about and Mm -hmm. and got his story for 90 minutes, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, fascinating, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, to to be able to see it all dissolve in a classic way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I wrote a book about the collapse of Bear Stearns. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it just disappeared in a week. Mm -hmm. FTX disappeared in a week. You know, the Mm -hmm. only difference was Bear Stearns had been around for 85 years and was highly regulated. Right. FTX was unregulated, been around for three years.
3: Right, and but, they hadn't been keeping records. They haven't. Uh, they had been spending it on Bahama real estate, Bahamas real estate, and everything like that. What? W- how could people have caught it? When you think about things like that, at one point Matt Levine said, "This sounds like a Ponzi scheme." I think that's the toughest many of the interviews have gotten, and he's like, "Yeah, it kind of is." Like, like which was ha ha versus. Is how would you have found this out? It's really, it's a really interesting question. And that's the one I think is an important question to, you know, I remember when Elizabeth Holmes was on all the covers, we never had her on and because I didn't understand it. And that's how I felt about him. I was like, I don't, I don't understand this quite right. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know who's minding the store. I don't know these people, which was lucky on my part in a lot of ways, not, not prescient in any
0: way. Well, it was, it was a total black box, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it was, you know, offshore in the Bahamas Mm -hmm. where they venue shopped specifically to be there to be sort of free of regulation. Mm -hmm. And then, but then, you know, he did things that, that, you know, ended up pissing off his brethren in the crypto Mm -hmm. space, right? By trying to seek out regulation and try to, you know, testify in Washington, all of which, you know,
3: make him look better.
0: Well, or maybe. Kind of manipulated and give all mm-hmm. this money to democratic mm-hmm. politicians and to try to sort of get the regulation that FTX could live with or, mm-hmm. or wanted, you know, pissing off CZ at Binance. And, and mm-hmm. of course, that became yeah, you his know, downfall. The, 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 the tipping point, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, CZ had been a uh, early investor in FTX, mm-hmm. wanted his investment back. You know, that clever Sam paid him back with, uh, you know, the token, the FTT token that they had manufactured Mm -hmm. and propped Mm -hmm. up, and he had 500 million of it. Well, you know, basically that was a gun that he had to Sam's head, just like, Mm -hmm. you know, the Chinese are our largest creditor. If they wanted Mm -hmm. to flood the world with dollars, I mean, you know, that would probably have an effect on the value of the dollar. Mm -hmm. So, CZ decides to say he will flood the market with, you know, FTT tokens that uh, are they rendered couldn't support uh, right and completely worthless, and so that that you know brought the whole house of cards down. Well, and planical. also
3: Carolyn Ellison, I, I thought she was no. a good poker player, but apparently not. She set a price, and the minute she said that price the dogs yeah, came right i mean right? you know it was the 22 the, it was,
0: as i said the other day you know the, the the children all scurried away you know like cockroaches when the lights come on i mean yes yeah. it was really there was no adults in the room let, let alone this 30 year old guy who seemed like a child i mean there mm-hmm. were literally no adults in the room they all lived together at their 30 million dollar house mm-hmm. or apartment and. NASA. So, I mean, unlike you know what we're used to, where mm-hmm. you know get Google, the you know the kids get Eric Schmidt, supposedly the adult in the yeah, room. We talk about that all day, whether he yeah. really is or not. But I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, there, you know, there was no even attempt at that here. Yeah.
3: So what happens next? Very quickly, because we're going to
0: talk about what happens it. next is that uh, hopefully the bankruptcy judge uh, appoints an examiner. Mm-hmm. And who has subpoena power and can actually get to the bottom of whether this was a massive fraud, fraud. or not? If it was a massive fraud with rea that Sam Bankman-Fried knew what he was doing, and Carolyn mm-hmm. and all of them, then off they go to to Butner. Yeah, uh, that's where they go. If yeah. it's just mislabeling, as Sam mm-hmm. likes to say, and you mm-hmm. know, maybe we'll know more when he speaks at the New York Times yeah. conference on Wednesday. Um, Yikes. Yikes is right. Uh, Against his lawyer's wishes, I'm sure. Then, you know, we'll see what happens to him. But he's probably pleading something out right now. Yeah. Five years. And here's what you need to know about, you know, these other other people changes. Right.
3: Yeah. We'll see. All right, Bill, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, there's an opposition to the Murdoch family reunion. And we'll speak with a friend of Pivot about how to save democracy.
2: Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place.
3: Bill, we're back. Let's talk some media news. First, Rupert Murdoch's plan to reunite News Corp and Fox faces opposition from a powerful shareholder. Independent Franchise Partners wants to explore breaking up News Corp. I don't know how much power it has. It's sort of like the altimeter people over at Facebook at Meta. Rather than merge it with Fox, IFP is the largest shareholder that opposes deal but joins other shareholders who voiced opposition. What'll happen here?
0: Uh you know this reminds me of you know c b s Viacom uh, mm-hmm. merger that if it weren't for Sherry Redstone, it would never have remerged. I mean mm-hmm. her father, Sumner, separated them for a reason right mm-hmm. and uh the managements at both those companies uh you know were happy with that arrangement mm-hmm. uh Sherry decided, hey, we own both of these things. It's going to be easier to sell if we put them back together. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of opposition to that, but of course, once Les Moon, Moonviz was deposed, that was the end of that. And mm-hmm. they were combined, but the stock has not done uh, very well at all, even though Warren mm-hmm. Buffett has sort of backed up the truck to yeah. what is now called Paramount Global. Same thing is going mm-hmm. on here. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, I think the Murdochs think that if they combine these two things they basically control into one company, it'll be easier to sell. But, you know, I really don't think that the Wall Street Journal people want to be, mm-hmm. you know, putting the same boat with the Fox News uh, people, people again, uh, right? Again, right? They separate. They also them for have a real reason.
3: estate. They've got Harper Collins. They've got a lot of stuff. They've yeah,
0: got a lot of things that don't want to necessarily be in the mm-hmm. same boat as Fox, and and I don't think it's necessarily going to make it easier to sell. Just like it's not easier to sell Paramount Global. So this mm-hmm. is very ill advised, in my opinion, and mm-hmm. the CBS Viacom, you know. That went to Delaware court, and it was mm-hmm. going to be hashed out there until Les Moonves got deposed, mm-hmm. uh, overthrown, and you know, perhaps rightly so. And uh, you know, this—I don't know whether it'll go to Delaware court. Or I don't. I don't think they'll. Uh, sue to block it, but they, but they might, but there might be some lawsuits to try to block But you don't think
3: it's a particularly good idea, correct?
0: No, no. I mean, it was separated for a reason and there's no Mm -hmm. reason to put them back together.
3: Yeah. So, so keeping them apart would be, they could sell the pieces off if they wanted. This is, uh, they assume they're anticipating Rupert Murdoch's demise at some point if he ever dies. You know,
0: Sumner Redstone thought he would never die. That's true. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think they put it together because it, it's easier. They think for tax purposes, you know, mm-hmm. it might be less of a tax bite or something. Right. They're together.
3: Right. But there's no synergistic idea behind this, except that they want it. They no, want the, the, so the Murdochs it's... want this. They, or the the Murdoch. Murdochs
0: want this. And the question is, will they get it? But I think they have to get the majority of the minority, the non-Murdoch mm-hmm. voters, and that mm-hmm. might be tougher.
3: Yeah. So um, one one deal that News Corp doesn't seem to be part of, the streaming rights to NFL's Sunday ticket negotiations are said to be ongoing and could stretch into 2023. Apple, Disney, and Amazon are all rumored to be contenders with a lot more money, with Apple supposedly the favorite. This is uh, bad, correct? How important is this deal?
0: Well, I mean, there's a lot of I mean, we're talking about a a lot of potential money here, mm-hmm. uh, and it's what people watch. Mm-hmm. Kara, mm-hmm. People yes, not like me. To watch, not this Kara stuff. Swisher,
3: but yes, no, yes, indeed. But
0: you know, other people, as mm-hmm. they would say on, on Seinfeld, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they. This is you know, live sporting events are extremely popular, and the NFL is the most popular of live mm-hmm. sporting events in this country. Just week after week after week after week, even though the. Product is, uh, you know, not quite as much fun as it used to be, or mm-hmm. as exciting. But uh, so this is a big deal, and I'm sure it'll be a blockbuster whenever it happens. And so you know, we wait a little while longer, but it's going to be a blockbuster.
3: Going to be, and it, what about Disney in here?
0: Well, well I, I, I mean, ABC. You know, they mm-hmm. well, sure. I mean, Disney's got to be mm-hmm. a player. Apple's mm-hmm. a player. Amazon's so a player. Fox lots, is a player. High price. High, high price, Kara. Pr- high big price. Numbers. Big numbers. A-
3: Last very quick question successful second term for Bob Iger. Are you bullish or sort of worried?
0: Well, he's, he's only got a two year term. Mm-hmm. Uh, his big question is, you know, who's his successor going to be? And, you know, my partner at Buck, Matt Baloney, mm-hmm. yesterday tried to lay some of those names out. Mm-hmm. Um, Dana you
3: know, Walden, Andrew Peter Rice, things like yeah,
0: that. Yeah, it was, it was fun to read. And mm-hmm. it's a big, you know, choosing, your, he blew it once. Mm-hmm. And now he's got to get it right the second time. He'd better. Mm hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you something, the stock price doesn't improve. Now that you've got Dan Loeb and mm-hmm. uh, Tryon Partners, Nelson Peltz Nelson in there, yeah. you know, Iger may not last the two years.
3: Oh, wow. So the, And they're at cross, they're different opinions, correct? Those two well, activists. I mean, uh,
0: but Nelson Peltz apparently didn't want Iger to come back, but that's mm-hmm. water under the dam. He's back. Now he's just mm-hmm. a shareholder who wants that stock price to go up, just right. like Dan Same thing Loeb with Right. And if and, and if they don't get that and it doesn't start happening soon and going in the right direction now we had a mm-hmm. few good days last week and we we'll, you know we'll see uh yes, the enough. bob the bob one sheen it's a very good sheen it's a, it's a, it's a happy it's a nice sheen but mm-hmm. if it doesn't really polish that apple mm-hmm. uh to to the satisfaction of Nelson Peltz and Dan Loeb who do not fool around mm-hmm. they're not like passive investors they're going right. to you know they'll find somebody who does. Who who you know, especially Nelson Peltz. He didn't want Bob Iger to come back in the first place,
3: right?
2: He, right. And by we'll the see.
0: way, he he got rid of Jeffrey Immelt at GE, and then yeah. also got rid of John Flannery at GE. Yeah. So they don't yeah, fool this around. Guy.
3: They don't not fool around. They want the, a sock up Bob one. Um, from just from the Disney Town Hall, it just wrapped. Iger says no M and A in the near future, which means one of the things he told me was that Disney was barely big enough. Which I you know he can't buy the Warners, or et cetera, or make some sexy uh merger at all um the hiring freeze remains in place he's got a tough road bob one this is not the same environment that he left in
0: no he's uh he's got a lot of to do he's got to basically un unwind what his successor bob did mm-hmm. and he's got to try to satisfy now dan loeb and nelson peltz
3: what would you do give me one thing you do and then we're going to get to our friend of
0: Oh, well, you know, I, I guess you've got to get Hulu on board and you've got to reduce 50 billion of debt. It's too much mm-hmm. debt. You got to do something. Spin been off the ESPN. ESPN and spin it. Well, if you can spin off the debt, you know, do what the ESPN, what uh, uh, AT&T did to Time Warner. Warner.
3: Yeah. Warner. Yeah. Just spin it off. Yeah, that yeah. would be a big move. That would be a big move. They, yeah. they w- weren't going to do it. with debt,
0: though. With, it debt. It with debt. Yeah.
3: All right. Let's bring in our friend, of Pivot. Anand Gargadas is a journalist and the author of The Persuaders on the Front Lines of the Fight for Hearts, Minds, and Democracy. Welcome, Anand. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you?
3: Yeah, it's so interesting. Your book is coming out about persuasion at a time when there's a lot going on about culture wars and polarization, um, and you profile people bridging the gap. But talk about, has it changed at all since the book came out? You've got this Twitter sale. We've got a little bit more polarization. We had the midterms. I'd love to get your sort of overview of Where you, where you are with this book in the midst of all this noise, I guess.
1: I mean, it's just intensified. We're in this Mm -hmm. moment where I think one thing that is widely shared across this country is people want things Mm -hmm. to change, right? Mm -hmm. People, people have different things they want to change, but there's a widely shared sense that we're not on the right track, that big things need to change if our kids are going to have, you know, uh, a decent shot at a future. And yet we can't. Change anything it just feels stuck. it feels like we can 't mm-hmm. change people 's minds, and therefore, in a democracy it 's impossible to change things and so the book is really a journey among people who I think show a way out of mm-hmm. you know the kinds of conversations that get stuck on Twitter and that are, that are getting more stuck now that it 's owned by a two year old uh, mm-hmm. and the kinds of the kinds of conversations that get stuck in our families. We just had Thanksgiving you know the kinds of family uh, conversations that get stuck. At work, I think there is another way forward where we mm-hmm. can reach people and bring people into the visions of the world we want while standing mm-hmm. bravely for things, not not diluting what we want in order to reach people, but standing bravely for things and reaching people. And I, I wrote the book because a lot of people uh, out there doing this work on the ground knew things I didn't know, and I wanted to learn from them.
3: All right, but you just called the current owner of Twitter a two-year-old, which is not persuasive. It is it's a joke, Oh, it's very persuasive. See, <laughs> okay, this is, the, right. this is, this is okay. the thing,
1: right? This is actually one of the core things of the book. Persuasion is not all about softening what you say mm-hmm. to win over some I- imagined moderate or to win over the target mm-hmm. of someone like Elon Musk. A big mm-hmm. part of persuasion is rallying people to, you know, get more excited about the thing they may latently feel. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't literally believe Elon Musk is, is two. I think he's about 11, but I, I, (laughs) I think there's a, um, a problem that a lot of us understand latently the need to be more focused on, which is that the Mm -hmm. highly limited men of Silicon Valley who you spent your uh, Mm -hmm. career covering and 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 making uh, wake up in the middle of the night fearing your call, uh, these highly limited men have now, uh, are are now pushing us to being a highly limited democracy, highly limited society, because Mm -hmm. their own personal limitations have kind of become the limitations of our discourse, of our ability to speak to each other. I personally do not think the national or international conversation should be moderated by people who couldn't have a functional conversation with you at a party.
3: All right. So what messages do work? Republicans say build a wall. Democrats say you'll get health care voucher and taxable savings account. You make X percent, which is more wonky. What is working now? Obviously, the midterm elections, the voters said a lot by their voting and weren't listening to the noise, weren't listening to the yelling, weren't listening to the limit necessarily. Look, I, I think
1: there's a, I, this book in some ways is about organizers in particular, although mm-hmm. I write about a lot of different people, what they all share in common is kind of a background in, in organizing and on the ground organizing, as opposed to national limelight political work. And I think there's an organizer's playbook that, that does work and is working. And so a couple elements of it, you know, I think uh, folks on the political left, I would say the pro-democracy side in general, are just not as good at commanding attention -hmm. As, as some of the, the kind of bad actors in American life. And so commanding attention is really, really important. Someone like AOC is very good at it. And you kind of see the difference between her and, you know, the entire rest of her party. Uh, Mm -hmm. attention for, you know, all the reasons you understand and have covered in your career is just an incredibly important skill in this media and, and kind of technological uh, infrastructural moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing is uh, meaning making. Organizers think a lot about how do you stand with voters, with citizens, twenty uh, four seven three sixty five through a process of them making sense of the world, not just transactionally, ask them for votes and $5, right? Mm-hmm. And again, you see the Democratic Party, it's very much there in the big moments when it wants something from you. Uh, go vote, go vote, go vote. Uh, but there is a longer term process that is happening in this country of real profound change, change in gender relations, change in race and demographics, change in LGBT rights, um, mm-hmm. demands of all kinds of people to be seen and recognized and treated well. And I think that has led to and by the way, trade, economy, tech, China, like all these things that have really discombobulated a lot of people's sense of who they are and how they fit in and what the future will be for them and i think the far right has in many ways done better at mm-hmm. walking with people through those psychological transitions and dislocations you don't feel you know what it means to be a man anymore in your town well let's tell up let's spin you a whole story about how your manhood's being threatened by xyz actors and i mm-hmm. think the political left the pro democracy side at this point has not walked with people through the deeper structure psychological transitions that I believe are at the heart of what is roiling our politics. Uh, yeah. You know, policy issues, uh, the issues we often talk about in the news every day are downstream of very deep things happening in the American body politic, primarily mm-hmm. psychological, emotional things, people not feeling safe and whole in the world. Uh, and I think we need folks who believe in democracy to get better at that. But we keep
0: voting for gridlock. I mean, you know, we seem to like gridlock. You know, each president, whether it was Obama or Trump, love him or hate him, Biden, love him or hate him. uh, You know, they get their first two years where you can try to get things done. And then it's either two or four more or or six years of gridlock. And we seem very happy with that. That seems a little antithetical to this idea of persuading people to either be active or
1: to change things. Well, I mean, our system... Uh, is in some ways designed to create gridlock. And uh, it was designed to create a kind of generative gridlock. If you go back to the debates of the founding fathers, they thought gridlock would lead to compromise and people, you know, representing rural areas and urban areas in ways that didn't railroad one or the other. And that was a good concept. I mean, that was sort of what I studied in college and grad school it was a very powerful concept at the time. Unfortunately, they didn't anticipate Social media, money and politics, all kinds of other things that are new that have weaponized the checks and balances of our system to basically make us ungovernable. At this point, it's an ungovernable country, in part because of these negative forces that have grafted onto Deep parts of our structure that were designed to, you know, prevent tyranny and now are being weaponized to create new forms of tyrannical threats. So it's a very big problem. And, and we need, you know, several deep structure reforms, like getting all money out of politics, uh, like dealing Not with things happen. like— not going to happen no. in any right. foreseeable way. Uh, I think we can make it more expensive to give money in politics. I think we can have disclosure requirements and things that make it, you know, more 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 trouble than it's worth. You know, and then the kinds of reforms people are talking about in terms of gerrymandering, in terms of, the, uh, you know, the Senate, I mean, all would fall in the not going to happen category, um, unless we are able to really have a pro-democracy movement that builds a big swelling case over a period of years to the public uh, for un, these un, values of
0: ungovernable country which is the words you just used is not what uh anyone wants to hear i mean that's scary ungovernable it scary. country
1: it is scary and this is why you know you know part of why it's ungovernable is because i think we people have given up on the idea of persuasion and so my my prayer with this book is that folks will reclaim the idea of persuasion, even if we are tribally divided on different sides of different issues, um, on... Many other issues in our lifetime, most notably, I would say the status of gay people in this society, but, but Mm -hmm. many other issues. There have been huge, huge shifts institutionally in terms of mores and values. We're also living through bigger shifts than we realize the status of women in our lifetime, the, the conversation around race. I mean, how many white people had their parents or grandparents grow up thinking about whiteness? as a thing that anyone had ever thought about. So this is
3: a good thing. Well, now, now listen, some writers like Ezra Klein have argued that polarization is parties sorting themselves into alignment on policies like drugs, immigration, race. And isn't it good if the Democratic Party has fewer people who support regressive and racist policies? Yeah, is, I Isn't it good I, this, to make that stand? This is a, 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 stand a, actually at the, the rather, core of
1: the book. I actually, I, I agree with that to the extent that I don't think polarization, which is to say people being on different sides of an issue, maybe on more is necessarily bad. I actually don't think anger and division are necessarily bad, right? I mean, politics is about if we got a 100 bucks left in the society, do we help your aging parents or my, you know, school age children first? That's Mm -hmm. uh, those are rough issues, right? They're going to get rough. It's supposed to be rough. I think the problem is contempt and dismissal, right? uh, Being angry at you may drive me more towards politics and democracy Mm -hmm. and wanting to, Get in the arena. Thinking you are just who you are. You are never going to be susceptible to any kind of art. You are, you think that way because you are that way. You will never move. You, you didn't want the vaccine last year. You're never going to get it this year. You voted for Trump once. You will never not vote for him. That kind of contempt and dismissal and fatalism is the enemy of democracy. And the book in many ways is an attempt to say we can be polarized. We can be angry. This stuff's going to get real because it's intense, but we can't allow ourselves to lapse into the view that nothing can change. People can't change because people can and do change all the time. And there are amazing persuaders on the ground right now changing people's minds, showing how it's done, and we can learn from them.
0: And the return of Donald Trump, if it happens, is that going to be good or bad for the persuasion theory?
1: <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's a funny mix of the two, right, in the sense that I think he is so in some ways discredited right now that you probably have some near-term successes for the pro-democracy side because he's in the arena. I think his announcement, you know, probably makes uh, the, the runoff in Georgia much more favorable to Democrats, so on and so forth. However, I am not of the view that it's good to have him in the arena because he, you know, I, I think he's just existentially Dangerous, uh, and uh, you know, I think there is a part of the critique of the book, the, a kind of loving critique of the book, to my mm-hmm. own uh, friends on the pro-democracy side, is I don't think we're out competing him fair and square. I mean, the, y- y- there's a whole bunch of rigged stuff to be sure, and this election stuff they're doing, and and all the ginning up of fake results and audits. It's all it's all BS, and it's all real. However, I think in the on- in an honest war of ideas. I do not think pro democracy people are clearly out competing American fascism, as as it might. For um, narrative building,
3: and, you're talking about narrative
1: building. Narrative building is at the heart of it. You know, there is who, who is telling the better story about America right now—a story that is simple, clear, easy to understand. I mean, all three of us are in the business of talking to a ton of people, right? Reading a ton of documents, re- reading a bunch of data, and then and then you got to just. Take it all in and tell people something, right? People, people, people don't want all the data you read to, to understand how to yep. think about psychology. No, Silicon I get it. Valley. they
3: over lecture and they get tisk, tisky. I mean, I'm just in the middle of something right now and I'm like, either go or stay. I don't care. And that was, you know what I mean? Like pick your, pick your poison. So who is a good, I, we have to finish up, but who is a good persuader right now from the, who you think and who is not?
1: So I think, you know, AOC is a remarkable example of the attention point. How do you mm-hmm. actually, shift the entire conversation of the country by wearing a dress or introducing a certain policy that may never happen, but that can reframe how people think. I think if you look at Gavin Newsom, governor of California, there's a real sense of fight that has been missing in virtually every other Democrat of his profile. It's okay to pick fights. It's okay to not go high when they go low. I think he's demonstrating that in a powerful way. I think if you look at some of the incredible local civic stuff that came out of the pandemic, mutual aid and other things. Uh, Democratic Socialists of America are doing this. The sense of home building as part of movement building, not just asking people for votes, but building IRL community. The Democratic Party does not do this. The Democratic Party does not meet up in real life. It, it, it's not in your neighborhood. It's not in your building the way it used to be a hundred years ago when center left parties were dominant around the world, where if you got a weird letter from the IRS, Mildred on the third floor from the local, you know, Democratic party person would help you. That's gone. Uh, mm-hmm. That infrastructure needs to be rebuilt and there's local groups showing how that's done.
3: And who's bad at it? Um, you
1: know, I, I think the Democratic party as an institution, as opposed mm-hmm. to individual candidates is, is really bad at it, right? The The kind of organs of the, of the Senate. Democratic senatorial campaign, the the congressional one, um, you know, I think there's just a real deficit of speech making right now. It's I mean, could could any of us on this on this call think about the last time we heard a great line, like just a great line? Like Mm -hmm. we all know so many lines from from past. Eras. Mm-hmm. I was just at the FDR Memorial in Washington, a lot of great lines sprinkled around there. Are there mm-hmm. any that you remember from the last, I don't know, 10 years? Uh, so I think the, the Democratic Party's institution has become very sclerotic and, and needs to do this. But at part, we need to tell a story about America mm-hmm. that is thrilling. And exciting and galvanizing, not just lecturing, not just talking wow. about the problematic things, although there are problematic things, but that is yeah. offering a, a thrilling vision of a country that's going somewhere, that's going through some of these hardships because it's trying to do a hard thing of building a multiracial democracy with liberty and justice for all people. This is a cool pursuit. It's an awesome mm-hmm. pursuit. It's a pursuit that actually a lot of countries in the world are not engaged in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we are. And I think we need to make it inviting to people uh, and build a movement that people you know, want to get yep. in on.
3: Yeah. You mean the Grievance Olympics isn't working for anybody? No, it may not not. be. I don't think that is. And it doesn't. It just it it doesn't. I'll tell you. I I think a lot of people have reached their limit on on that.
1: One of the best tweets I ever saw. What I, I lost track of it, but it was someone who said the secret to winning in politics is to have your side not be totally exhausting. (laughs)
3: <laughs> That's a good one. Anyway, Anand, his book is called The Persuaders at the Front Lines of the Fight for Hearts, Minds, and Democracy. Thank you so much. And I like I like this, Anand. It's not as you know, you were yelling at billionaires before, but this is much more hopeful. I like it. I still I still
1: yell at them on nights and weekends.
3: All right, okay, good. That's great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Bill, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Bill, let's hear some wins and fails.
0: The fail... And the win are the flip side of the same coin, and what I I mean by that is, I think that the FTX SBF disaster, you know, the crypto meltdown, and you know today like BlockFi filed for bankruptcy. I mean, and it's still going, and you know, something Tether still needs Mm -hmm. to be, you know, wiped out, et cetera. So the the ongoing meltdown uh, in crypto land is, I think, you know, a, a major fail, obviously. But I think, as we were talking about before, I think will result in some major wins for whatever this technology is that underlies all this that people still have faith in. Now, again, right. I'm not a technologist, so I don't frankly understand. I hear people talking about it. I know they believe in it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but that doesn't mean anything. I don't know how a car works either. I don't know how and then the internet works, but I mm-hmm. sure enjoy using it uh, every day, and it's changed my life for the better. So. You know, hopefully So you'll see out of this. that
3: this is a necessary and important step in other ways.
0: Absolutely. Words. Just like, you know, yeah. the internet bubble exploding back in March two thousand was a very important step in what we now take for granted on the internet. Right.
3: Right. I think it's really um I think you're right. I think it does feel like that. It does. Having been there during that time and everyone thought the internet was a Ponzi scheme and a lot of it was um, at the moment, some of it was quite profound. And then they started really making money with starting with Google. Google was really the one that shifted everyone's thinking about that as they started to make a lot of money. And how
0: essential is that today? I mean, it's incredible how valuable that is.
3: Incredible. Incredible. Also, and also the turnaround of Apple and things like that with the internet and the apps and things like that. And it happened a lot slower than people think. There were a significant number of terrible companies, significant, and they well, all they wanted to business. away.
0: That's one of the, yeah. the beaut- beauties of our system.
3: And one thing to note about this is that um, this isn't that much money. What, even though everyone's sort of focused on FTX, it's a very small part, as Scott points out, of the economy. It didn't tank anything.
0: And yeah, very importantly, it's not interconnected to the financial system nearly as much as people thought or feared. You know, as happened in two thousand eight. So it's a very different dynamic. And frankly, we're blessed as a result of that because yeah. we couldn't go through that again right now. Yeah,
3: although a lot of people lost money, we're sorry about well, that. Okay,
0: but, sure, but they were. That's the way it goes. Yeah,
3: yeah. And Kathy Wood still an income poop, correct?
0: Still an income poop, and I oh. can't believe anybody gives her money. And <laughs> that just blows my mind. But they do. Okay. So okay, there you go.
3: Go there, you go. Anyway, I have only one win. I saw in the theater. Speaking of which, um, like it's the win and a fail too. I saw Wakanda Forever, which was astonishing. I was so glad to get to the theater. We had mm-hmm. a babe, an actual babysitter over the weekend, over the Thanksgiving weekend. It was a wonderful movie, perfect for the big screen. Just a beautifully done, very soulful. Um, completely dominated by women of color. I, like if you saw a man, he walked through to on his way out the door somewhere else. It was just a beautifully wrought movie, and I recommend it to everyone. It's a blockbuster, and it's doing really well, and it's great to see it in the theater. That said, I still am not bullish on theaters. Everything else that I want to see, I'm going to see on a plane or on streaming, um, pretty much, except I'm trying to think of a movie that's coming out that I'm going to rush to the theater for. There's a few, I suppose, but not very many, few and far between.
0: Well, The, ban- the Banshees of Inner She, which <laughs> I saw in the theater, wow. I recommend it. Uh, and I enjoyed going to the theater it. to see it. And so, small movie. You live movie. in New York,
3: though, right? You're I a do New Yorker. Live in New York. Yes, so New that's Yorker why.
0: Course. So it's, yeah. you know, it's hiding out in New York, but you can find it around.
3: Yeah. Independent yeah. theaters. I do still think that the theatrical experience is declining precipitously so and will continue uh, no to do question. so. It'll be like Broadway. You know, it'll be nice and people will go, but not the same kind of business. Again, a small business. Um, anyway. Just another window. Yeah, just another window. Anyway, we want to hear from you. Send us your questions about business, tech, or whatever's on your mind. Go to nymag.com slash pivot and submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. We'll be doing an end-of-the-year mailbag, so get those questions in. Bill, that's the show. A reminder that Bill's book, Power Failure, The Rise and Fall of an American Icon, which is about GE, is out now, and you should absolutely read it. Um, I love your comparison to what if Apple declined, wouldn't you want to know? I think that's exactly right if people understand how important GE was. As to everything um, for a very long time, and it's it's quite a, a fascinating look at what happened there um, over the many years. Again, thank you so much for coming on, Bill.
0: Thank you, Kara, for having me.
3: We'll be back on Friday for more. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Enderdot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business.